0: Welcome on to The Backstretch. I'm Heather Williams, and we're going to start right away talking about NASCAR racing and NASCAR attendance, new school versus old school. You all know that I live in Bristol, Tennessee. I live about three miles from the track. I've lived here for seven years. I spent 17 years of my life living in the state of Tennessee. I love the racing at Bristol. I love this part of the country. That's why I get so frustrated when I see people complaining a about the racing at Bristol and B about the attendance. Let's talk about NASCAR arenas and attendance for just a second. Bristol holds approximately 120 to 130,000 people. 120 to 130,000 people. Only 70,000 people were at this year's Super Bowl. Approximately the same amount of people were at the Final 4. That's half a Bristol So when you look at the Bristol Motor Speedway and it's half to two-thirds full or even the third full, there's a Super Bowl's worth of people at this track. NASCAR got greedy in the early 90s and 2000s. So many people wanted to come. There was so much demand. The landscape was so different than it is in the sports entertainment world right now. And people, rather than just raising the prices and making ticket to premium, just got more and more and more and more seats. Bristol is way too big for today's sports landscape. It's too big for the city it sits in. There's not enough hotels. There's not nice enough camping. There's plenty of camping but most people they want like to glamp. They don't really want to camp anymore. It's way too big for today but the way Bristol is and the reputation that it has it's hard to take those seats out. They add, they've added drink rails. They've reduced the seating. They put up banners but it still is an enormous facility the crowds for bristol have been declining yes for quite some time in the spring race but this dirt race this past weekend the crowd was outstanding i'm estimating between 60 and 70000 people I go back to my previous statement, 70,000 people were at the Super Bowl. This is a regular season race in NASCAR in a tiny town in Tennessee, getting as many people to come to it that come to the Super Bowl. And there will be at least 100,000 people here for the night race. I just get so frustrated. You can probably tell my voice that I'm worked up because I get frustrated when people complain about the attendance. The previous week at Martinsville, that place holds 40,000 people. And it was not full. And I did not hear anyone complaining about the attendance at Martinsville. And that race was a snoozer. So I'm very protective of Bristol and the way that people talk about this race because it drives me crazy. You can disagree with me all day long. There is not an attendance problem in Bristol. In today's sports state. Bristol is doing just fine. All right. Got that off my chest. Let's get to this week's show. We are joined as always by our crew chief, Chris Carrier, who also happens to be the crew chief for the number 75 food country truck in the K&N World Truck Series coming off a fourth place finish at Bristol. Yes, Outstanding ma'am. run for you guys. Yes, ma'am. We have to start with Bristol, of course. Incredible finish in the cup race. Best spring race attendance in almost 10 years. The ratings were way up. So is Easter Dirt, the experiment, right for the success of Bristol?
1: I think the results of the race and obviously the the statistics you just mentioned is uh you know a grand slam for for Bristol Speedway. Uh you know you can we were talking about before we started the show here you know you can be a fan of dirt racing or not a fan of dirt racing. You can like or not like whatever but um, the work they do with that racetrack is, is amazing. I, I'm shocked every time I go in there to see what these guys accomplish and, and how much uh, coordination and organization has got to be in in that. But uh, you know the race was a good race. It was an exciting finish. There was a good crowd. The TV ratings were up so you know I, I'm not a, a big fan of racing doing anything on Easter Sunday uh, but it's just um, you know it, it worked and it was a success and i'm glad for the people at bristol speedway and uh you know it looks like kind of looks like it's going to be a thing here for a little while longer so but, but big success big success good deal
0: yeah they announced today that they will be returning to the dirt next season don't have a date yet so it might not be on easter but not. the dirt is definitely coming back so a lot of people criticized ross chastain for his move at the end of the race at coda there's, doesn't seem to be the same sort of criticism for Chase Briscoe after what he did at the end of the Bristol race on Sunday. Is it fair to compare the two or am I missing something here?
1: I, I, don't, th- I don't think it's really fair to compare the two because in my eyes anyway, my opinion, I think Ross Chastain's, um, his, his approach to that and what he did at Coda. I think it was a reaction from what happened before. I mean, he got bumped out of the way and knocked out of the way and moved, and he said, look, no, I'm not taking that. So I don't think, I really don't think he did anything wrong. I don't even think it was his mistake. I think he did, he took the territory back that he deserved. At Bristol, I think there was no intention whatsoever of anybody to do anything wrong. I think both drivers involved, Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe, are super superstars super in the future. And I think they're very good young men. I think Chase just went in there and did a last ditch effort uh, to do like a sprint car slide job on dirt. And that's kind of hard to do with this big a car. Uh, I think he just kind of overdone. He, he, was, he was man enough to go apologize to Tyler. Tyler accepted. They acted like two grown men, like they should and things went on, and and Kyle Busch won the race. So, you know, Tyler shows a lot of confidence to me in the way he reacted like, okay, he knows that wins are coming. That boy's gonna be a superstar. In my mind, he already is, and he's gonna win races, and it's gonna be soon. So, you know, he didn't go crying like a baby, and I, I I think that says a lot for that young man.
0: Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney are 1-2 in the points, despite not having a win this season, and they would actually be 2-3 and three in the playoff standings. The playoff format was supposed to put more emphasis on winning, but is it?
1: Uh, I think it still does, Heather, for the most part, but... Uh, also, consistency you know, is, is paying off for those two young men, those two young drivers. I, I don't think either one of them would tell you that they're satisfied with their season so far because they haven't won races or a race. So, uh, you know, the season's still young. There's a lot of races left. Uh, we're going to a wild card place this coming weekend. And um, I think that they're probably okay with where they sit. They're just—they just want to be—they just want to hold trophies. They—they they want to have wins in their in their column. But I think the system—I've uh, always thought it could be tweaked a little bit, you know. And, and um, I think NASCAR's tried to do that some. Uh, but you know, they're—they're they're not gonna—they're not gonna please everybody, and that includes me and anybody <laughs> else. Uh, but they're just trying to do what they can to make it the best they can. And I think so far they've done a pretty good job.
0: So this week nascar heads to talladega the next gen really shined at both daytona and atlanta the other uh drafting track so can we expect the same kind of success this weekend
1: i think i think you can expect maybe more success at Talladega because talladega is kind of like atlanta but just bigger and wider it's wider than daytona and um, a lot of people don't really realize that or think about that but with this car, the, the, you know, the, the best thing about it is they're, you know, it, it, it punches a big hole in the air, the, the, uh, they run really fast, they've got the, the, the qualities that they can run up on somebody and pass. And um, it, it's, it's kind of like a big group of really equal cars in the 70s. When you know you could you could have that big slingshot that big run up to the car in front of you Talladega's is much wider it's going to be a little bit faster I think it's just going to be they ought to call it the mayhem 500 uh-huh. it's it's going to be crazy and um, you know I, I hope that it I hope that it won't be filled with carnage I think it will some but you know what I, I don't heather I'm I'm not so sure, don't be surprised if they don't have the amount of cautions that normally, because again, Talladega is wider. There's more room for error. There's more room to make a mistake, and they can go four and five wide even, which is, you don't want to do it much, but they can get away with a little bit more than they could at Daytona and certainly at Atlanta. Our guest this week is Chris Berkey. He's the pit crew
0: coach for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he's from nearby Greenville, Tennessee. If you are listening outside of the Tri-Cities area and you know where Greenville is, it's a little bit down the road, maybe about an hour from Bristol, maybe 45 minutes from Johnson City, Kingsport, just to give you a general idea. So Chris, I want to get things started and ask you this question. How in the world did you end up in NASCAR coming from Greenville, Tennessee?
2: I ended up in NASCAR. Um, I was actually a college football coach, and I coached in the NFL for a while as a, was a personnel, actually. I was a pro scout in the NFL. And Hendrick Motorsports was actually looking for a developmental coach, um, a coach that uh, could go out and recruit the athletes, and, you know, pro or college, and bring them in and train them and, you know, and um, try to bring them to pit road. Uh, so I took the job with uh, Hendrick Motorsports, and back in 2009 and um, I was there up until December of 21 and then I joined J- Joe Gibbs Racing in January of two, of, this, of this year 2022.
0: Now you're from Greenville?
2: I am actually yeah, I'm from Greenville, Tennessee. My mom and dad still live there. One of my sisters still lives there. My other sister actually lives in Knoxville. So yeah, I'm an East Tennessean. So
0: uh, tell me about your road in coaching.
2: Um, I coached uh, I played at Wingate University at, uh, just outside of Charlotte, played football there. And then once I graduated in 92, I, I started coaching college football. I was at Wingate until 1998. And then in 1998, I went to Tennessee Tech University. And then I left Tennessee Tech in 2001 and joined the staff at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. And I was there until 2005. In 2005, I went with Coach Saban down to the Miami Dolphins. I was there for five, six, seven, eight, and then just before, uh, just after the draft of '09, um, and then I joined Hendrick Motorsports in 2009.
0: All right, so people around here all know about Greenville and the great football tradition that's come out of there. But were you a racing fan when you lived in East Tennessee?
2: You know, I was. I, you know, Bull's Gap being right down the street and Bristol being so close. I remember as a kid going up to Bristol and. When it was just a concrete stands on the front stretch and the big mountain in the back, and watching Daryl Waltrip and Kelly Yarborough, so I grew up around racing. Um, I wouldn't say it was my first love. My first love was obviously football, and and uh, but I, I enjoyed watching racing. I Enjoyed going up there to uh, to those races in Bristol, and um, I always had in the back of my mind, you know, being a college football coach. It's so volatile that you know your next job's your best job, and. So I always had, you know, what pit crew, what, it's an athletic event over the wall, you know. So I always thought in the back of my mind that, hey, I might give that a shot if I could. And, and uh, ultimately, after football was over, I joined, got into racing and coaching pit crews. So it kind of all worked out.
0: So as a pit crew uh, coach, what kind of is your, your responsibilities with the team?
2: Um, the day-to-day operations of the pit crews. You know, we practice, we watch film uh, four, three to four times a week and just getting them prepared for the weekend, you know, and then off season, the off season is no different than any off season in the, uh, in athletics, you know, they train, they lift weights, movement skills. And then we'll also have some um, practices that will start up in what we call our preseason. And then, you know, getting ready to go to the Daytona 500. So it's really no different than what a football coach would do Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, getting ready for their Saturday game. Our games are on you know Sundays. So uh, it's just the day to day operations and, making sure
0: they're trained up and practiced and watch film and get ready for the weekend. For my final thought today, I want to talk about Bubba Wallace. You guys are either going to love me after this podcast or you're going to hate me. My opening rant about the attendance at Bristol and now I'm talking about Bubba Wallace in quotation marks, the unspeakable guy you can't talk about because he's so polarizing. I don't get it. I don't get the hate. I don't get why people are so angry at Bubba. I don't understand why people are projecting all these things on Bubba as we head back to Talladega, the site of his first win. Yes, it was a rain shortened win. Yes, people have run won races that were shortened in the past by rain or darkness or whatever. The night before, Colt Hero Let's Go Brandon won a shortened race because of darkness. They happened. I won't say all the time, but it happened frequently in NASCAR earlier in the season. Last year, Chase Elliott won a rain shortened race at Circuits of the America. It happens. So I don't know why people want to discount Bubba's win. Well, I do know, but I don't want to get into that. What I do want to get into is that if you're holding all this, harboring all this hate in your heart for Bubba Wallace... You're missing out on one of the truly engaged drivers in the garage area. Two weeks ago at Martinsville, I was standing there at driver's intros, and they had a red carpet set up. I was just watching. Watching the drivers that were stopping to sign autographs. The most engaged driver that I saw during the, I don't know, 20-minute period that I stood there. I didn't stand there for the whole time. But by far the most engaged driver that I saw was Bubba Wallace and I see it at Bristol he always stops there's a little place if you've come to Bristol you know it's right behind turn three where the overpass tunnel is that people line up and sign have autographs signed he always stops and signs he's never one of those drivers that's in a hurry that's got the headphones on that isn't paying attention that's talking to his PR guy that's pretending like he can't hear the fans every time I see him he is stopping and signing autographs and signing every autograph and taking every picture A lot of that probably comes from his time he spent at Richard Petty Motorsports because that's the way that Petty was and he learned from him but the fact that he's moved on and kept that kept those habits says a lot about Bubba and the kind of person he is so you can be mad at him about his social justice opinions but there are certainly enough opinions on the other side I can't tell you how many cars I see on racetracks today that say let's go Brandon on the back end of them and I don't see a lot of people talking out about that you don't like politics you don't like politics but I don't consider racial justice issues a political issue. So I don't really understand why there needs to be this hate for Bubba Wallace. I guess he's a necessary character in the black hat, white hats of this sport. I just find it unfortunate. I just feel like you're missing out on someone who's truly thoughtful, interesting, and engaged with the fans. And I guess that's your loss. So, like I said, after this week, you're either going to love me or you're going to hate me. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I call it the backstretch, and we'll see you again next week. Hopefully.